You're listening to the Private Citizen Civil Liberties Podcast. This is episode 162 for Wednesday, the 1st of November 2023. The Westminster Declaration. Hello everybody, my name is Fab. I'm coming to you from Düsseldorf in Germany. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here. Um, yeah, not doing this show live. This is hopefully going to be one of two shows this week. I have two episodes planned. I hope I can get to it. I'm um, trying to, uh, after another break, um, where I was on a trip and other things, um, doing other things, um, being busy. Um, I'm trying to settle in uh, to a more regular schedule once again. Once I get this done, I will also uh, start doing shows live on twitch again but for now um this is going to be um you know an audio podcast form old school only um nice to have you on the show hope you're doing well today i am on this episode i'm going to talk about the westminster declaration um and i'm gonna um basically uh read out this declaration because i think it's very important and uh It's very well phrased and something that is close to my heart and really um, I can't can't say it better myself. So I might I might as well. Um, but before we get into into that, um, there's something else uh, I wanted to mention. Um, quickly, um, obviously, uh, we have this uh, situation in uh, in in with Israel and 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 uh, in Gaza now with you know the renewed violence uh, in the Middle East and kind of uh, you know a, uh, a flaring up again after. Um, you know, after what looked like, um, you know, movement towards peace uh, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And um, I have been asked in, in other venues um, as a journalist and as a writer by readers um, what my position was on that. And I thought I might as well talk about this here on the podcast because, you know, um, this this might come up Um Although I, it's not a topic I um, really want to... I mean, I don't have any plans to do an episode about about it, basically, because, um, you know, it's been... Um, it's even though, you know, the, the horrible things that have happened and are happening right now, um, basically on both sides, um, it's... it's To me, it's really as, as horrible as that might sound, but it's really nothing new. I mean, this has been going on since before I was born, and it, it flares up again and again. And uh, right now, I just don't see an angle. I see everybody's talking about it. It's like the new thing in the news, right? It's the new excuse, the new thing to switch to, to and the new reason for doing everything that we're doing, including, you know, mass censorship which which is this episode's going to be about um but yeah so not so just that you know currently i don't have um any plans um to talk about this on the show if you 
um, disagree with that, if you think there's an interesting angle, you know, feel free to contact me uh, as usual, privatecitizen.press is where the show notes are for this episode and all the other episodes. And it's where you have contact information. And you can, you know, if you, if you disagree, if you think there's 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 an interesting angle here, please let me know. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is uh, people have been when this whole thing started up, there was a uh, a push in the media basically to take sides. Everybody was declaring sides, and on on social media, on Twitter, and then or X. I refuse to call it that. It's just such a stupid name. It's just completely confusing. Let's keep calling it Twitter. Um, everybody was, you know, kind of. It's like this news. It's like this the thing to do now. You know, you take sides. Um, you you try to be um, a good human and and show that you're on the right side of history or whatever. So everybody immediately takes sides. And um, so I was I was asked how I feel about this as well. And I wrote um, in, I, do, I have a publication called uh, Eye on the Press. I wrote in a little editorial called, um, do you have to declare your position in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that I've also linked in the show notes if you want to read that whole thing. But basically my point is, uh, my answer to that question is no, um, I don't think you have to declare sides and I don't think you should. Um, there's two um, aspects uh, on this for me. One is the general one, and one is a personal one. On the general note, that probably applies to you know, if you're listening to this, that applies most to you as a listener of this show and as a just as a person out there in the world. If you're not, you know, if you don't have a horse in this race, so to speak, um, you know, if if you don't have any um, relatives. Uh, in Israel or in Gaza um, that are affected by this or like you I don't have any family ties to the region if you're just like me and you're just you know somewhere in Europe or in the US um, I, I think especially in the US because in the US there, there is this um, this alliance you know with Israel and the US always siding with Israel and I think I, I do think um, you know far be it for me to tell people in the U.S. what to do, but I, if I was in the U.S., um, I would try to rethink that. Um, I think, you know, when you're on the other side of the world and you don't really have a dog in this race, I think you shouldn't pick a side because it's war and war is horrible. Um, and it's it's horrible on both sides. Um, I mean, the what Hamas did obviously uh, is, is extremely horrible and extremely apprehensible. Um, but also, you know, the retaliation is just as reprehensible um from my point of view um for me it did very much look like the uh israeli military was just waiting um you know had all the targets already lined up they were already uh it wasn't it wasn't kind of like the the attack on on ukraine where you could i mean from the limited amount of things you could see in the limited reporting we have it kind of did, did seem like the ukrainians were very surprised at the beginning um this doesn't seem to me like that at all. Like it seemed like the military immediately went into overdrive um, and immediately knew what to do. Um, you know, I mean, of course, defending the home turf, but then also, you know, um, transitioning into a uh, kind of a, you know, this is our new excuse to, to bomb Gaza. And I just find this, I find everything about this reprehensible, um, especially because I'm, you know, um, you might, if you, if you listen to the show for a while, you might know that I'm not a religious person. Um, I actually do not belong to any religion. 
which is kind of rare in Germany. Uh, my parents didn't baptize me. They thought I could do that when I'm old enough, um, which I you know, I think is one of the smartest things my parents, well, they did many smart things, but you know, I, I respect them for that very much. Um, and surprise, um, <laughs> I didn't get baptized. I, I did study history. Um, and even though you do not really get taught this um, history in university explicitly by most professors, um, I feel if you, um, and they kind of never mention like the impact of religion really. I mean, there are some historians uh, that have made a career out of kind of pointing this kind of stuff out, but they're usually not very, um, you know, uh, it kind of tends to get you isolated because every, you know, in Germany, pretty much everybody is, is, is a Christian. Um, well, I mean, we do have a lot of Muslims these days in the country, but, you know, the vast majority of people is either Roman Catholic or Protestant. It tended to be kind of half-half for a long time. Um, obviously, I'm from the Rhineland, which is famously a, a Protestant area because, you know, the university I went to, Bonn University, is actually in the old palace of the uh, the Kurfürst of Cologne because when um, the Rhineland, which used to be Catholic uh, in the Middle Ages, um, got, um, you know, uh, got, uh, became part of Prussia, um, in the, uh, we're, we're talking like the, the, uh, 1800s, you know, um, uh, 19th, 19th century, pretty much. Um, it became, um, it, you know, the Prussians were obviously Protestant, so it became Protestant. So they actually took the palace of the the ruler of Cologne, who used to be a Catholic, um, you know, a, or the you know the the Catholic religious ruler. Um, they took his palace away and made it into a university. They closed the the existing university in Cologne down because it was a Catholic. You know, it, or it could open later again, but like they closed the and then. In the area that was like a Catholic university, they closed that down and then created a Protestant university in Bonn uh, in the building <laughs> taken from the, you know. So it's like, um, there's like always this the very, you know, we have lots of religious uh, stuff in Germany, of course, as well. But I, I always, um, I'm, I'm very, uh, one could say, anti-religious. And um, I took away from studying history, I basically took away, lo looking at, you know, I studied mostly modern history, but... Um, the 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 20th century so the 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 two world wars which obviously is, is is foremost in everybody's mind um who hasn't really particularly studied history but that notwithstanding um those wars and like the clashes we had in the 20s 20th century pretty much were born out of a um Kind of a, almost an anti-religious sentiment, you know, both both Nazism, both um, authoritarianism from the right, as well as uh, you know uh, Soviet um, communism, authoritarianism from the left. Both, I mean, they arranged themselves with the church later on, but it, they're both very anti-religious movements generally. So kind of these modern modern movements. I'm, this is way too long, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick. I, I didn't plan to talk all about all of this, but kind of I'm I'm sticking with it now. <laughs> anyway, you, you get in this history lesson if you don't want or not. <laughs> um, but like both these movements, these modernist movements are very anti-religious, which caused a lot of historians after the Second World War um, and during the Cold War to kind of extol the virtue of religion um, in, in keeping these. 
like modernist forces in check you know where like we're basically creating um a you know as as we say in german uh vernichtungskrieg like you know industrialized warfare industrialized slaughter that was the modern thing and the theory i think was that that happened because um these people both the nazis and the soviets were not religious and largely anti-religious um, although for the nazis that is not really true but you know the the movement itself you know totalitarianism as in like an idea a social idea taking over the whole state is very un religious i kind of think it's kind of the new religion because i never understood this because i looking at the middle ages and times earlier i thought they just like nazism and the soviets just took over the traditional role of the church i mean that, that's what the church did i never understood this like this whole slaughter just this idea of this whole slaughter just coming in because these people weren't religious i think this it just came in because of technology, you know, what enabled the slaughter both on, on the Nazi side and in in the world wars and, and at home, you know, in Germany and then Third Reich and also in the, on the Soviet side um, was just technology, right? Concentration camps, mass killing of people. Um, you know, the, the Catholic Church would have done this in the Middle Ages in Jerusalem if they had the technology, I'm pretty sure. So I think... What I'm trying to get to here, I think that the, to me, looking at history, studying history, I think the most destructive force in the history of, of humanity uh, has always been religion. Um, religion can be a boon to some people, I guess. Um, I think from a high high level, it's, you know, it's what humans, a lot of humans need to deal with death and the inevitability of death and kind of the futility of human existence. I think, you know, as somebody um, like, um, I don't know, Kafka would probably have said, <laughs> um, that's what people need religion for. That's my, my personal opinion. But it has also come with a huge downside because... Um, Religion is an organized, uh, or at least organized religion, which is what we're talking about here when we're talking about Christianity, um, you know, uh, Islam, or I think even, although to a lesser extent, but even like Judaism, um, it, is, it has always come with the, you know, it's a, it's a political mechanism to, to, to gain and hold power. Um, and it always comes with, this is why I think it's so similar to to Nazism and and Soviet communism. It comes with a us against them mentality, right? That that's how the Nazis built the power. That's how the Soviets built the power. For the Nazis, it was the German folk, you know, the German um, people against everybody else. For the Soviets, was it was the workers of the world against everybody else. And for for religion, it's just you know us against them. It's our religion against their religion. It's sometimes it's you know Protestants against Catholics, um, as in many wars, um, you know, in the seventeen, sixteen, seventeen hundreds, um, and the eighteen hundreds to some extent. And before that, it was Christians against uh, Muslims. Um, before that, it was Romans against Christians. It's always, um, yeah, it's just a incredibly destructive force. Um, and that's also how it kind of how people in power keep their power. That's why it works because you need 
um, you know, uh, it's it's called in in historic studies called the uh, uh, in, in German it's called Primat der Außenpolitik, like the primacy of um, foreign policy, which means you can always distract from internal issues in your government with calling up a specter outside. You know, for Hitler it was the Jews, um, for the Soviets it was uh, uh, capitalism. Um, and for religions, you know, it's the other religion, right? There's holy wars. And it always, you know, it, it, it goes around. I mean, the stuff, I used to have a, actually in school, um, I used to uh, have a, a teacher. Well, he, I, um, um, he was, uh, he was a hit, I had him in history, like he was my history teacher, but he was also teaching uh, Catholic um, religion studies. Um and uh, he he would always say that um to him um what 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 islamic i mean this was before 911 but it was in the 90s but still you know there was islamic terrorism and you know jihad and all of that and he was always say like this is basically what islam is doing is what christianity did like 600 700 years ago or even earlier but he was like his his theory of religion was basically that islam is just like 600 years younger and it's going through a phase that the christians went through you know that time ago which i always thought you know it's not a perfect theory but i think there's some truth to this um i, I just cracked up just just randomly just cracked up the other day because um in, in germany we have um like some of the emergency services are run like by Catholic organizations. Um, I mean, there are different ones. There's like the Arbeiter Samariter Bund, which is kind of like they're like worker. There's like a union kind of thing. But there's like, you know, like Caritas and like a lot of Roman Catholic organizations that basically run some of the ambulances and, 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 and you know, uh, uh, old folks care homes and stuff like that. And uh, there's one uh, which is the, the Ioannita, Ioannita Bund. Um, which is basically the the hospitaler, uh, you know, the hospitaler order. Um, so they have that logo, like the the, the red cross, the red red hospitaler cross, and they're always like um, basically begging for money. They go house to house, and um, I was objected to that because I think the state should um, like um, should take care of this. So I was always when they ring rang my doorbell, or in in this case they were asking for money in front of the supermarket and they stopped me and they were saying, I usually always uh, argue with them that I'm paying taxes and I uh, expect the state to pay for this kind of service and if the state, state doesn't do that, then that is our problem. It's not, I shouldn't be giving them extra money. I don't think that's how it works. We have a social welfare state in Germany and I, I pay a lot of taxes um, and I think that should cover that and I think them by them going around that, you know, it's just, serving no purpose but I've, I've been arguing with them um like this for like years <laughs> and then, then it, it never goes anywhere so i was just fed up and i was just i, I was walking I, <laughs> I was um i was actually on my way to go boulder i wanted to go bouldering and then i um i just had to buy something and i went to the supermarket and i wanted to get it done fast and this guy was just pissing me off and and i had been thinking um, on the way there, I'd just been thinking about Israel and Hamas and stuff, um, and and I I I decided to be really rude to the guy. I, I went like I don't. I, he was like, yeah, we're we're collecting money. I said, I'm I'm sorry, I don't give money to uh, um, 
religious fundamental organizations. And the guy looks to me like, I'm like, I'm like, you're hospitaler or you're basically the Deutschritter one, you know, you're the guys that, you know, the, the what's the Deutschritter one called in English? I forgot about this. Um, people are shouting at the headphones right now. Why is he talking about this? Uh, Deutscher Orden, what they're called in English. The Teutonic Order, of course, yeah, those guys. So the hospitalers are basically the same. You know, they used to, this organization, okay, I, I grant them it's a few hundred years ago, but they used to go to Jerusalem to kill Muslims, right? The, the same people. It's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, you should look up the Wikipedia article about your organization. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't, what I'm trying to say here uh is um i don't like religions okay um and i think they're bad um knights hospital they're called i just looked that up their their flag just looks like the flag of denmark that's probably also not an uh an excuse um yeah yeah oh yeah they got a big order in malta of course um I wonder. I'm just just looking at the Wikipedia article. I wonder how the the Wikipedia article is actually. I said you should look this up on Wikipedia, but I'm now thinking they might have actually sanitized this. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm guessing. I'm guessing it, it. I mean, it must be in there here somewhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, it at least says that they participated in crusades. I mean, that that sounds very, um, you know, that 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 doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> Until you remember that crusades is just randomly slaughtering hundreds of thousands of civilians <laughs> because they have the wrong religion. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is the following. This has gone very long, but I guess it's a. Uh, I should probably change the show notes and make this uh, make this a subheading now, <laughs> in hindsight. But um, yeah, what what I'm what I'm trying to say here is um, no, you sh- I don't think you shouldn't pick sides. I think this um, this this conflict is 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 bad and it's it's never gonna get better um, unless unless there's gonna be peace, right? There was some some actually some some good progress on that in 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 earlier years, you know, like. Uh, maybe 10 years ago but like i don't know i don't think it's ever gonna um i'm very pessimistic about this kind of stuff as long as religion is still a factor it's 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 probably never gonna stop um and i don't think anybody um who's who's like an enlightened um you know um person i mean i don't i don't mind what religion you are i've said this often i don't i don't begrudge anybody their religion um, it's to some extent, I see this as kind of like part of, you know, your cultural heritage, whatever. Um, I've said this before. I think to me, it's like a sexual kink. Um, you know, I don't, I don't kink shame. I, I, shame. I don't care what you do. Just do it at home. Right. And, and close the windows and who cares. Right. I just don't want people running around, um, you know, telling other people about their religion or, um, killing people because of it. Um, which to me that this is uh, this is unacceptable and just not you know um, it's not good and 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 you know d- 
no matter what side you are, I think. But that's like the more, there's, there's another point I want to make, which is like a personal point, um, which I also made in this um, editorial I've written, which is basically I'm German, right? And I, I, I think Germans should be the last. Like if you have a reason to pick a side in this, I don't think anybody should. Um, I think everybody should just condemn everything about this. People killing each other for land. It's not even nice land. It's like the fucking middle of the desert. Just because some guy used to live there, apparently. He used to be, a you know, everybody said this is like a holy man. Who gives a fuck? It's not even nice land. It's the fucking desert. You know, if they were fighting about like some some really nice valley in Montana or the like some of the fjords in Norway like where it's really nice or like fucking the east coast of Australia people are fighting over that I'd understand because it's really fucking or Fiji if there was wars over Fiji which is probably the nicest place in the world uh, at least I've been to it's so beautiful like if people are fighting over that I could I could I wouldn't get behind it but I couldn't I could understand it but like this shit anyway but like I'm German and I think, you know, I have a I have a deep understanding of like how this whole thing developed and I think it's mostly I think our fault. I think a lot of this is our fault. Um I mean certainly the modern state of Israel would not exist if the Holocaust hasn't happened and since Germans caused that. Um, you know, I do not feel people should be responsible for what other generations did. Like, how can I be responsible? I personally think for what my grandfather did, who, you know, was in the Waffen-SS. Um, and, you know, that generation, I don't feel responsible for that. Like, but I feel a, um, I think it, it behooves me as a German, you know, and we do this in school. So obviously our state thinks the same thing to learn about this stuff. And when you learn about this stuff, you also learn that, why the state of Israel was founded, which I think, you know, there are valid reasons for that. I, I understand. I understand the feelings that the people probably had back then. Um, I understand the emotions behind it. Nonetheless, it's what caused all of this. Um, and it's just like, uh, I also understand the other side. Right? I understand people who used to live somewhere and then, I mean, I really wouldn't be me. Like, I would, at some point, I would just go, yeah, fuck this. It's stupid desert anyway. I mean, I might have been born there. But, like, do do I want, like, now 100 years of war just because we want that land back? I mean, how nice is it really, right? If somebody was going to come and just take Duisburg and invade, if the, Fran if the French would just invade Duisburg and I'd had to leave, uh, you know, my family had to leave, you know, I'd be pissed. But I'm not sure I would go on a war to get it back. It's not that nice. Like, if I could just live somewhere else, you know, uh, three towns over, like Cologne's nicer anyway as <laughs> a city, you know. Um, yeah, you'd be sad because that's the place you were born. But really, like, I don't really understand that anyway. But yeah, Um but bottom line, I think as Germans, we should be the last people to pick a side in this. Because haven't we done enough? Haven't we, like, and I, 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 it amazes me that the German government actually just picks sides in this. Where I'm like, haven't you learned anything in school? Haven't we done it? Haven't we caused enough? Germany should never pick any sides anymore. And like, we shouldn't have any, we shouldn't send weapons anywhere. We shouldn't send tanks anywhere. We should 
maybe have an army to defend ourselves. Maybe I think we should just have nuclear weapons that are just buried under the cities that you can't bomb anybody with, that we just blow up if somebody tries to, <laughs> you know, really tries to invade. We just start blowing up. Start Maybe start with Berlin. Nobody's going to miss that anyway. <laughs> it reminds me of Leonard Cohen. First we take Manhattan, then we take Berlin. Um, yeah, so, you know, we shouldn't have we shouldn't do this. We sh we shouldn't pick sides. We 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 have done enough. We've caused two world wars. Let let's be let's have some real talk here. Germany has caused the two most horrific wars in the history of mankind. Um, the first one by being really, really I mean okay, okay the first one's kind of I kind of almost give us a pass on the first one because everybody just want to fucking wanted that war and they just figured out how bad it was afterwards. But I mean from from the foreign policy blunders in history like giving somebody carte blanche to start a world war and backing and you know promising them to back them up and then actually do it it's like one of the dumbest things you could have ever done and you have to it had to be that just shows you how fucking inbred that emperor was <laughs> i mean you'd have to be like a fucking moron right um especially when you're when you're basically Re related like really closely related to like the queen of england and the fucking czar in russia and you're all like chums and hanging out together you're all like family and then you like what the fuck um but then of course world war ii was just horrible like uh, absolutely inexcusable we we've done enough we shouldn't pick sides so i have like two reasons to not pick sides in this um and so i won't um I really, I I just I I just think I I I just condemn all of this like this whole situation. Um, I really I don't understand either side. Um, and I don't think either side is justified. I'm sorry. I don't think. I obviously don't think what Hamas is doing. They're a terrorist organization. Um, they're fucking. Their whole religion is fucking crazy. They're nutballs. They're like uneducated fucking savages, apparently. Otherwise, I can't understand how you can have religious views like this. Um, you know, if it was up to me, I would like people like that. You know, I don't know. I almost said the wrong thing there. Like those fucking people. If 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 they just want to shoot people, they could just shoot each other. Shoot, shoot, shoot all of you. Like, go go kill that other sect that you don't like of your fucking nutball religion. And, you know, just leave leave the world in peace. Like, I don't, un like, those people, sorry. But then on the side of Israel, um, I have to say I'm also, I, I also don't think this stuff is justified. I don't think, you know, having having one of the worst genocides, arguably maybe the worst genocide in the history of humankind, although that's a stretch, but let's let's give them that, um, happen to you does not justify, um, you know, just pushing people from their land with like fucking weaponized bulldozers. And, you know, I mean, from that perspective, I'm sorry, what did you expect was going to happen? Like if you look at the history of mankind, when 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 one state does that, like when one people does that to another people, it doesn't matter how poor they are or how little weapons they have, you know, they're gonna reach fucking Che Guevara 
they're gonna get an a really old AK from somewhere, uh, and you know if they can't militarily win, they're just gonna resort to terrorism. I mean, what seriously? What did you expect was gonna happen? I just I don't understand this whole situation. Is a is a complete clusterfuck, um, and it's kind of like you know, like in every war. I don't think it's that's dissimilar from what's happening in Ukraine, um, Ukraine and Russia. Um, and I don't care about who the aggressor was really. Um, I just want peace. What's this like? He started it. What like what is this fucking kindergarten? Like like that's not how justice works. Um, you know, in a in an enlightened society, you're just not justified if somebody attacks your country. Of course, you're you're justified to defend yourself, but you're you're not suddenly then justified to, you know, perpetrate war crimes of your own. Um, just kill like all of your young people in a war that you can't win. Um, use weapons that basically everybody decided weren't like going to be used by civilized countries. Um, it doesn't like the end does not justify the means in the end. Like to me, I mean, I don't, I'm not a utilitarian thinker. I'm not a believer in these kind of things, you know, the good of the many and all of that. I think that's one of the worst things. One of the first worst world views you can have because it leads to these kind of things. Um, in the end, what everybody wants basically is peace. Um, you know, every mother who's lost a child in, in one of these wars, um, everybody who's been in one of these wars, you know, um, they can be, they can talk such a big game, but you know, they, they come home and they, they got PTSD and they kill themselves or they live under a fucking bridge um, or they like drink themselves to death. Um, afterwards, you know, really what all of these people, what everybody really just wants is peace. The only people who don't want peace is the people in power who've got something to gain, who hold on to power by waging wars. And I don't really don't care who started it. I don't really care who ends it and how it's ended, how it's ended. I don't care what cities on what line of the, um, of the, uh, you know, of the border. Who gives a fuck? Like, I, I think, you know, Germany being divided was horrible. Um, you know, I grew, grew up in a divided country, but I always believed um, that in the end, and this happened, I mean, I believed this um, kind of when I was still a kid and, and pretty soon it did happen, that like in the end it would sort itself out, and it did. Um, and, you know, if, if Germany being divided for like, I don't know, 40 years or how long, ever long it was, um, was the price to end World War Two and not have the Cold War erupt into like a real shooting war? Then I think that was justified. Like if you if you need to do that, then you need to do that. And then it takes forty years, and at the end, um, you know, it, you know, it it's gonna sort itself out. Um, is 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 war really so much better? Like can, like how bad? Does the other other solution has to be that you um, have to have war, right? I mean, leaders don't think like that. They they don't want to lose face and then they just kill because you know they kill like huge parts of their population. 
and because they don't want to lose faith, face and they don't want to give up and all this kind of shit. It's just, it's horrible. Anyway, war is horrible. My bottom line here, war is horrible. And um, yeah, don't, don't support it and and don't don't pick a side like pick 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 the side of peace okay and i'll spend 40 minutes on the thing i thought was gonna last five i'm sorry <laughs> maybe i'm just worn up by this shit um i've been thinking about this a lot let's change topics here the thing i really wanted to talk about um that the show I thought was going to be about is <laughs> the Westminster Declaration. Um, this is an important document this, the, that was published uh, a while ago. Um, I think it was, I mean, it was obviously uh, initiated by a lot of people, but I think, you know, obviously Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, uh, who I read a lot on Substack, were uh, intimately involved with this. When I read the text, it sounds a lot like Matt Taibbi, which I think is a good thing. Um, basically what this is, it's an answer by journalists and, and artists and, and historians and basically a lot of people that have been canceled, to put it that way, um, during COVID and, you know, um, since then. Um, it's kind of a um, an emotional appeal. Or not, it's actually not that emotional. It's very well argued. A well argued appeal um, to stop this censorship we're experiencing, which I think is one of the biggest problems. I think it's one of the biggest dangers we're facing. It's much more dangerous than all of these wars, I think, um, for us, in especially in the US, uh, and maybe in Canada, in, in Europe, like in the West, right? Um, because what I'm seeing, um, to take it back to this, the thing we were talking about, terrorism, all that, I've been seeing this since uh, September 11th. There's this term people would say would say that then the terrorists win and i see the terrorists winning a lot like so after september 11 we we completely like the us changed its foreign policy in a or maybe stepped it up is probably a better thing to say in a, in a horrific way destabilized whole regions region of the planet we fucked air travel because we're just suddenly afraid of this thing go, happening again with like some weird rules that were just idiotic um, and that's how the terrorists win. And they're winning again now. Um, now we have like one crisis after the other. And the offshoot is that our leaders kind of apparently think that we shouldn't be able to have free speech anymore. We shouldn't be able to um, express our views. I mean, I've talked about this a lot on the show, especially recently. I mean, the Digital Services Act in the EU is just horrible. Um, this is how the terrorists win. They win by they want a world um, to take this like really high level. Uh, it doesn't really matter, but like these religious where they're coming from. But these religious fanatics in every religion apparently, um, and as general other fanatics, they want a world in which democracy doesn't exist. Apparently, right? They want. Um, they want us to lose these freedoms, uh, freedom of speech, all these, all these human rights. We suppose they're supposedly so inalienable, in, in, inalienable. That's a weird word. In, in, inalien. 
Inalien, inalienable, inalienable. That's sounds like nipple. I've never thought about this. You know, sometimes you say a word and then you're like, "This is a really weird word." Anyway, um, yeah. Apparently, they want us to 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 lose these rights. And what they're doing is by you know, especially terrorists, by perpetrating these acts, they're actually getting our politicians to fucking destroy the system that. We're trying to defend against these people. We're destroying it ourselves under the guise of, you know, this danger. Even though there isn't really... I mean, yes, September 11 was horrible. This thing with Hamas in Israel is horrible. But that's been going on... Like, September 11th weren't the first airplanes to be blown up by Islamic terrorists. You know, the Pan Am or whatever. Uh, what's the Lockerbie? All these things. You know, there were like... The, you know, the Palestinian conflict, the fucking uh, uh, hostage crisis in Munich uh, at the Olympic Games. Like, this has been going on forever. This is going on constantly. But it's always, whenever it happens, it's like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. We need to suspend all of our, you know, civil liberty. We need to suspend everybody's rights because otherwise... Our democracy is, is not going to withstand this assault when the truth is just the other way around. The democracy in our societies is just a lot more re resilient than anybody gives the credit. But what's it, what it, I, I believe what it, what its downfall is going to be eventually is, is our reactions to these dangers that are actually not that dangerous, that just happen all the time. As my wife always says, and she's a very smart woman, there's always crazy people. They always do crazy things. Um, but it's it's that in itself has never toppled any government. Um, so as I can tell, you know, it's always like military coups and we're do, like doing this to ourselves. Um, anyway, the people who have written this Westminster Declaration, which is named that because it was... Uh, I think in June or July, they got together in in in, in, in London... And, and drafted this uh, resolution and then a lot of people signed it. And I think it's very important. Now, I have to preface this by I don't generally believe in these things. I don't think signing petitions or resolutions like this usually changes history in a meaningful way. But this cause needs publicity. Uh, and on, I mean, this is so important and it's um, because... The media, as we as I've talked about on the show a lot, you know, is largely on the side of you know, to put it bluntly, the elites, the people in power, the people that stand to lose, um, when people, you know, exercise the right of free speech. Um, you know, the the press, the media was was supposed to, you know, be a check on these people, but it's not anymore. Um, it's now largely uh, kind of on their side. Um, so this is all not being, stuff like this is not reported. You know, that's why I talk about it so much. So I think I just, just, need, just needs publicity. And I think on the off chance that this might help, which I don't think it will, but like I think it, sh it should be publicized, should be talked about. Because I re what I really look at, I'm, I'm 40 years old now, and it just occurred to me today 
um, that this is now about like I looked at the copyright information on a web, my website and I realized that's been 25 years since I'm on the internet. Um, my parents got the internet in 1998 um, when we got ISDN, you know, when we could go on the internet without blocking the phone because my dad never wanted that. He always wanted to be reachable. So um, I then got the internet and I realized that pretty soon, uh, within a few months, I started uh, not only consuming, I started writing on the internet. I, I, like in 98, I, at, at the end of 98, I created my first website, which I think was at GeoCities. Even before that, I contributed to forums and, and the, like the BBC used to have this <laughs> back then, this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe thing website where you could write articles about anything. I contributed to that. But then I pretty soon I created my own website and it just grew from there. So, you know, I just realized that it's been 25 years that I've been using the internet to inform myself and also publish my thoughts. And I think what I'm seeing when I look into the future, because I'm getting older now and either wise or crotchety probably both no probably not wise but like what i see now is that i feel like all of this is at stake i when i look at the last few years especially since the pandemic i think we're we're honestly in danger of losing a lot of things that technology has brought us in the last 25 to 30 years you know with the invention of the internet and it really and it really taking off and we're taking maybe you know end of the 90s, beginning of the 2000s, people really started using the internet. Um, we had we had a system there and an invention that had enormous potential, um, the potential to give everybody all the knowledge of the human race at their fingertips and allow everybody to publish their own thoughts and put an end to the monopoly of the papers and television and the radio you know, to, to report on things and to tell people what you think and what life looks like in on your side of the planet and, and, you know, report on things that the media would not report on. And there was huge potential there. Um, and, of course, with that, we also centered our whole lives, you know, made our whole lives digital, made our payment system digital, made large parts of maybe not the voting, but our democracy digital because... As we will hear in a in a in a bit, what you know the the exchange of ideas is crucial to to the idea of democracy. So um, we we put that on the internet, right? We put that on first forums and social networks, and now we're in danger of losing all of that. Like because censorship on the internet is not like censorship. You know, I've got the the German. Uh, constitution right here i actually bought a new i'm gonna i'm uh, probably not for this podcast but i'm, I'm gonna i want to do some writing i want to do some um um analysis on the the digital services act and how it pertains to the constitution but and i of course have a copy of the constitution um, but uh, i bought a annotated copy which is much bigger because you know i want the 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 what this is 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 not actually the text of the constitution it's it's legal commentary on the um, established case law over the last 50 years and 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 how how the constitutional courts and other courts have generally interpreted the constitution so it says like for every article it, it can explain that anyway um so the problem is that 
the, what the constitution says, the German constitution, and it's pretty much it's the same in the U.S. Uh, wherever you are, you know. I know in the U.K. you don't technically have a constitution, but practically you do. I mean, you have yes, just the weird legal system. In Germany, you have the Roman legal system, and you know, in the Anglo-Saxon world, you have some case law legal system. So you basically have case law, and you know, you invented habeas corpus. So basically, you know, you have that. Um, but you know, when I say the constitution, just imagine that for your country, that whatever that is. Um, but obviously, those were written in a time before the internet and before digital. Um, digital reality so to speak and when when the constitution says talks about censorship and why it, it, why there shouldn't be any censorship that's one thing right it's um it's always you know a constitution pr protects the citizen from the state so it's always like the state censoring stuff and we we know that that's not happening anymore because states now doing it through companies through the back door basically so the constitution doesn't apply or I mean, in this case now with the Digital Services Act, it is actually, it's not the state because it's the European Union, which is not defined, which doesn't exist under the German constitution, right? If the EU is doing it, the German constitution doesn't really apply. It only applies when the German government does things. So when they put a law, it's, it's, it's much more complicated. But like what they, what they what the founding fathers, fathers in the US tried to protect, you know, the citizens of the US from with with the first amendment is basically the state trying to take the the um the right to express the fr away from the citizen but it wasn't really so much from the citizens it was more from the press right it's more uh, protecting the press because the press because you couldn't publish your ideas to all of the other citizens really i mean you could you could stand on a soapbox and like the Covent Garden or whatever that is, or Hyde Park, and you could you could you could shout, you know. But like, um, it was more, you know, when mass media came about, it was more about that. Um, so it was more about protecting the media because the media's job is to express, basically, in that system, to express the things the citizens would like to have to have expressed. But now, the media is largely on the side of the state and we now live in a world where it is possible for everybody to you know any youtuber can have and frequently has more reach than the primetime tv right this is why angela merkel at some point figured out that she had to do an interview with a fucking youtuber because that weird youtuber with green hair um obviously had more reach than the fucking primetime tv because like people under 25 wouldn't watch that fucking show tv show so you know um but what we have now is we have a system that is we have te technological advances that are may incredibly conducive to democracy right they allow anybody to publish anything and get access to all kinds of information um and I think what we're seeing is that the people in power, it doesn't matter of whatever government, it's not even people in government. It's, you know, it sounds weird like a conspiracy theory when I say elite, but I would like to say elite because that's the best term for it. It's the people who have the power. They don't have to be elected officials. They can just be rich, right? Or be in a position, um, you know, they could be the NATO uh, general secretary, 
you know, they're not elected by any electorate. Um, they're not. He's not the government, Jens Stoltenberg, but he has a lot of power. Um, people like that. Um, people who run um, big corporations, or not even that, run big think tanks. People run the World Economic Forum, something. I don't know. Apparently, I have no idea. You know, people who are the movers and shakers. You know, the Jeff Bezos of the world, the Elon Musks. Oh, Elon is such a screwball that he's a bad example, I guess. But like, you know, um, Rupert Murdoch, for fuck's sake, anybody, people like that. Um, they see this as a threat because it's a very powerful tool for, for democracy. It's a very powerful tool for the people to have their way. And the, the, the people who hold the power don't want that. They don't want the general rubble to have their way. Um, they're okay with democracy as, as long as they can kind of get a handle on it so it doesn't get too crazy, you know? So they can still kind of do what they always wanted to do and kind of, you know, back in the day when the TV news were like this and now we are going live to the White House, um, they had control over this kind of th thing and they don't have that anymore. Uh, and now they're turning to censorship, which is understandable reflex, but the problem here is that it's not the same kind of censorship. You know, it's not like when they censored the TV news back in the day, um, or propagandas them. Yeah, they kind of made you think things, but like you could still talk to people. You could go to the pub, um, except no, nobody's doing that anymore. We have moved our whole life to the digital space. People are basically thinking on the internet. Um, I don't know. I think I don't know if he coined this, but Leo Laporte of Twitter used used to say um, back in the day when pretty much nobody knew what Twitter was. <laughs> and he was on there um he used to say very early on that twitter is the nervous system of the internet and it's very, i think it's very true that's why twitter is so important or sites like that but they're not only the nervous system of the internet there is our nervous system they're our way for, you know of that's how we do things and if they censor things on the internet it's not um they basically censor your thoughts i mean people Used used to think, um, you know, you know, you know, when when it kind of got like very very um, bad, like uh, uh, basically the dig on your like you were a conspiracy theorist um, you're, during the pandemic when they said you know you do your own research, like back in the day, if you if you, you know old man fab talking here, like in the nineties, if you needed to find something out, you would just you know you'd you'd have to get a book or, you know, go to the library or ask somebody, you know, ask a doctor or a, a professor in history. If you, you know, where do I even, like, if I want to learn something about the the Byzantine Empire, how do I do that? Like, what's, what's the, that's why you went to university. Like, what's the, what's the good book on the Byzantine Empire? Like, what do I ask my librarian? Like, what do I want to read? Or stuff like that. Now we just go... To enter your your literally people don't. I mean, I, if I don't catch myself, I do the same thing. People don't think anymore. They just enter their thoughts into Google, and Google spits out an answer. Now the problem is, or any other search engine, the problem is when they get they being the state, the elites get to censor this. They censor your thought process, 
It's like fucking, it's like so Orwellian. It's like not even Orwell did think of that. It's, they control, like if, if a certain topic is disappeared from Google, it basically doesn't exist. I mean, I had this happen. Like, like Google changed their, like a few years ago, what was it, Project Owl or whatever it's called? You know, they changed their way um, and it got accelerated in the pandemic, how they like, surface search results and there was a lot of things like when, pe when news sites or sites aren't um don't have enough um what's it like what they call it res res not respect like um um basically like standing right they wouldn't surface it, these things and i've in I, I shit you not in the last two years i've talked to very intelligent people some of them journalists on some topics where it's like um, so, so what do you think about that incident? They're like, what do you mean that incident? I'm like, whatever. Like I've, I'd heard of, I'd read something. I've heard of like some, something happening. And they were like, what do you mean that didn't happen? What is that? And then I was like, what do you mean? When you type it into Google, it doesn't come up. <laughs> like, um, it's like really, I mean, it probably comes up on page six or whatever. Right. But there's like other things that come up first. Um, and they like think you're crazy or like you're conspiracy theorist because you you have learned about something, but it's just been visibility filtered and suppressed, um, and it just affects like censorship is now in your brain. It affects your thinking. It is so much worse, right? It's censorship basically in the old days. The things our our constitutions are protecting us against it's like so it's like child's play compared what we have now right in the soviet union yeah they would like take trotsky out of that fucking photo and then you had that photo without trotsky and they would just erase every mention of trotsky from the history books and you know kids who grew up probably you know but like people were around they still knew who trotsky was like they can't delete it from your brain you know you knew who trotsky was he was like one of the five most famous people in that country for decades and then he turned, you know he became a traitor and stalin had him erased from history but everybody fucking knew who trotsky was they were just afraid to talk about him you know but they knew where he was so the state could pretend that some guy like named trotsky didn't exist but everybody knew that they were full of shit right now because people don't remember things anymore and they don't think anymore. They just go to Google. They can literally erase it from your brain if you're not very careful. Um, like during the pandemic, I really saw this happening. I started fucking being really paranoid. I, I started taking screenshots of every. I installed like this thing that I have in my browser to this day, which I, I mean, I'm kind of almost ashamed to say this. I didn't ever do this as a journalist because you never had to. You had the Internet Archive and shit. I used to start screenshotting every fucking website because I I had situations where it was like, am I going insane? Like I went to the to the Robert Koch Institute, whatever they were saying things about like, you know, some some SARS CoV two vaccine or like the pandemic numbers. Um, you know, and then three months later they would say the exact opposite thing on the very same page. And um had I not I, I would I think I would have actually um uh like 
question my own sanity had I not like fucking in the very beginning I think it was when <laughs> when the very beginning of the pandemic when the uh, the, the Tages show like the German primetime news they have a website um, they, they started when the when the pandemic happened they called the um, the virus um, SARS-CoV-2 which at the time was called SARS no it wasn't called it was called NCOV 2019 um, they, they called it the DNA virus I was like they, I read this and it's like Man, I talked to my wife about this. This is bullshit. It's like an RNA. I looked it up and I was like, this is really dumb. And then they changed it. And they, <laughs> to this day, they're, they're, they're fucking maintained that they've never done that. And it was like on the fucking, it was like in primetime news stories for like two weeks, maybe. There were like 10, 15 stories where they did this until somebody noticed. And then they re re went back and changed everything. Um, and I was like, this is, okay, from now on I have to take screenshots. Hadn't I done that, I would probably have questioned my sanity because that happens so much. Um, and that's the kind of shit you can do on the internet. Like, you can't only, it's not only hard censorship. It's like visibility filtering. It's like changing websites. Um, it's like, it's very insidious. And it's so insidious because not only is it like uh, poison to democracy, and to public discourse, it's like literally fucking with people's minds and their recollection of reality. It's like our, so much of our reality is now in the digital space. We do so much and it's only going to get worse. Like with everybody doing like AI bullshit and like Google being replaced by chat GPT. I mean, if you imagine, if you, if you look at what, what the ability of like the, um, the, the the ability of 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 whoever does it to manipulate things with Google search results. If you if you just imagine what that's going to be with ChatGPT, where you like it's so complicated and you don't know where the information's coming from, it's going to be so much easier. Like I used to laugh at people, um, you know, when 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 the EU did this really stupid law, like the right to forget. Like you know, um, very witty people said that's idiotic. You can't make people forget things. And I was like, yeah, that's right. I used to laugh at the EU. I'm not so sure anymore. I think you can make people forget. Because people actually, they, and, and I am guilty of this, and I'm 40 years old. If you talk to somebody who's 20 years old, they don't remember anything. They just Google everything at the moment they want to know. And they Google it again and again and again and again. And if, they, if you change it behind their backs, I don't think they're going to notice in a lot of cases. And even then... Um, you know, back in the day when you basically had your memory and you had the picture of Trotsky um, and you just, you had so so much less information coming in, you know, you had a newspaper every day and you could read some books, but with so much less information, your memory was so much more reliable to you compared to that. Now you're just used to just looking everything up all the time. I don't. I don't think people put that much stock in their memory anymore. I think it's now we are now in in an Orwellian time where you can actually make people forget things and you can manipulate people with nudging and all these kind of you know psychological um, things you can do. I think you can actually manipulate them into these kind of things. I mean, this might you know into actually forgetting things and you actually believing what the propaganda line is. Um, it's not like that might sound nutball, but just think back to the think back to the pandemic, and to health organizations who were declared the 
you know the de facto standard and you know i got stuff deleted of google uh, of, of youtube and stuff and probably of google um when I just disagreed with these health organizations, there were suddenly, um, you know, there were laws being passed that you couldn't contradict these organizations. And these organizations were changing, um, like, I mean, I have screenshots and I mean, there's articles written about this. The, the simple, um, the, the World Health Organization and their website um, about vaccines, about the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, and... Um, their stance on whether the vaccine would, uh, uh, you know, would would inhibit transmission of the virus, they changed that three or four times back and forth, and this was reported everywhere. I remember news stories you know, that were like two or three months apart, where like the takeaway from the story was was the exact opposite. The WHO says this is gonna prevent you from infecting others you should get the vaccine and then like three months later it's like um of course this is not gonna protect you from you know uh infecting others as the world health organization has said but it's also very important to get the vaccine right and i was like how could how can people like i can i remember is everybody else brain dead don't they remember uh you know what what they said three how do they keep that like how do they keep that in their brain but I think there's probably books about this. This, this whole system that we've built has like has taught people to do think like that, to compartmentalize that shit. Basically, they work like a like a spy. You know, when you read old school books about how they would teach spies, like how to train them to like compartmentalize this. Like that, you basically can hold two. Con that's I mean, that's an awful thing as well. But like to hold these two contradictory ideas in your brain, you know, um, like double think is what Orwell calls it. Um, but that's like a real psychological concept. And I think they've, you know, it's kind of. I mean, they. I mean, the wor world, us, inventing the internet and creating all these systems has trained people to do this. Anyway, bottom line is censorship is so much worse now. It's 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 just squared and cubed what it was um you know a hundred years ago and so that's why i think this whole cause of taking a stance against what is happening is so very important well this is why i would like to read you the westminster declaration because i think it's very well put and had i been in london at the time i would have and they had asked me to sign it i would have signed it uh, but even without me signing it i pretty much completely agree with all of it um so let me let me read you uh this document it is also available um you know i copied it in the show notes private citizen press but you also can go to westminsterdeclaration.org and read it there anyway so this is the westminster declaration we write as journalists artists authors activists technologists and academics to warn of increasing international censorship that threatens to erode centuries-old democratic norms. Coming from the left, right, and center, we are united by our commitment to universal human rights and freedom of speech. And we are all deeply concerned about attempts to label protected speech as, quote, misinformation, quote, disinformation, and other ill-defined terms. This abuse, of these, uh, th this abuse of these terms has resulted in the censorship of ordinary people, journalists, and dissidents in countries all over the world. 
such interference with the right to free speech suppresses valid discussion about matters of urgent public interest and undermines the fun fund foundational principles of representative democracy. Across the globe, government actors, social media companies, universities and NGOs are increasingly working to monitor citizens and rob them of their voices. These large-scale coordinated efforts are sometimes referred to as the, quote, censorship industrial complex. This complex often operates through direct government policies. Authorities in India and Turkey have seized the power to remove political content from social media. The legislature in Germany and the Supreme Court in Brazil are criminalizing political speech. In other countries, measures such as Ireland's hate speech bill, Scotland's hate crime act, the UK's online safety bill and Australia's misinformation bill threaten to severely restrict expression and create a chilling effect. But the censorship industrial complex operates through more subtle, subtle methods. These include visibility filtering, labeling and manipulation of search engine results. Through deplatforming and flagging, social media censors have already silenced lawful opinions on topics of national and geopolitical importance. They have done so with the full support of, quote, disinformation experts and, quote, fact-checkers in the mainstream media who have abandoned the journalistic values of debate and intellectual inquiry. As the Twitter files revealed, tech companies often perform sens sensorial, quote, content moderation in coordination with government agencies and civil society. Soon, the European Union's, Di Union's Digital Services Act will formalize this relationship by giving platform data to, quote, vetted researchers from NGOs and academia, relegating our speech rights to the discretion of these unelected and unaccountable entities. Some politicians and NGOs are even aiming to target end-to-end -end encrypted messaging apps like WhatsApp, Signal, and Telegram. If end-to-end -end encryption is broken, we will have no remaining avenues for authentic private conversations in the digital sphere. Although foreign disinformation between states is a real issue, agencies designed to combat these threats, such as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency in the United States, are increasingly being turned inwards against the public. Under the guise of preventing harm and protecting truth, speech is being threatened uh, as a permitted activity rather than an inalienable right. We recognize that words can sometimes cause offense, but we reject the idea that hurt feelings and discomfort, even if acute, are grounds for censorship. Open discourse is a central pillar of free society and is essential for holding governments accountable, empowering vulnerable groups and reducing the risk of tyranny. Speech protections are not just for views we agree with. We must strenuously protect speech for the views that we most strongly oppose. Only in the public square can these views be heard and properly challenged. What's more, time and time again, unpopular opinions and ideas have eventually become conventional wisdom. By labeling certain political scientific positions as, quote, misinformation or, quote, malinformation, our societies risk getting stuck in false paradigms that will rob humanity of hard-earned knowledge and obliterate the possibility of gaining new knowledge. Free speech is our best defense against disinformation. The attack on speech is not just about distorted rules and regulation. It is a crisis of humanity itself. 
Every equality and justice campaign in history has relied on an open forum to voice dissent. In countless examples, including the abolition of slavery and the civil rights movement, social progress has depended on freedom of expression. We do not want our children to grow up in a world where they live in fear of speaking their minds. We want them to grow up in a world where their ideas can be expressed, explored and debated openly. A world that the founders of our democracies envisioned when they enshrined free speech in our laws and constitutions. The US First Amendment, strong example of how the right of freedom of speech, of the press and of conscience can be firmly protected under the law. One need not agree with the US on every issue to acknowledge that this is an a vital, quote, first liberty from which all other liberties follow. It is only through free speech that we can denounce violations of our rights and fight for new freedoms. There also exists a clear and robust international protection for free speech. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the UDHR, was drafted in 1948 in response to atrocities committed during World War II. Article 19 of the UDHR states, quote, Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference and to seek, receive and impart information and ideas, ideas through any media and regardless of frontiers, end quote. While there may be a need for our governments to regulate some aspects of social media, such as age limits, these regulations regulations should never infringe on the human right to freedom of expression. As is made clear by Article 19, the corollary to the right of free speech is the right to information. In a democracy, no one has a monopoly over what is considered to be true. Rather, truth must be discovered through dialogue and debate, and we cannot discover truth without allowing for the possibility of error. Censorship in the name of, quote, preserving democracy inverts what should be a bottom-up system of representation into a top-down system of ideological control. The censorship is ultimately counterproductive. It sows mistrust, encourages, encourages radicalization and delegitimizes the democratic process. In the course of human history, attacks on free speech have been a precursor to attacks on all other liberties. Regimes that eroded free speech have always in inevitably weakened and damaged other core democratic structures. In the same fashion, the elites that push for censorship today are also undermining democracy. What has changed, though, is the broad scale and technological tools through which censorship can be enacted. We believe that free speech is essential for ensuring our safety from state abuses of power, abuses that have historically posed far greater than the words of lone individuals or even organized groups. For the sake of human welfare and flourishing, we make the following three calls to action. 1. We call on governments and international organizations to fulfill their responsibilities to the people and uphold Article 19 of the UDHR. 2. We call on tech corporations to undertake to protect the digital public square as defined in Article 19 of the UDHR and refrain from politically motivated censorship, the censorship of dissenting voices and censorship of political opinion. 3. 
And finally, we call on the pub general public to join us in the fight to preserve the people's democratic rights. Legislative changes are not enough. We must also build an atmosphere of free speech from the ground up by rejecting the climate of intolerance that encourages self-censorship and that creates unnecessary personal strife for many. Instead of fear and dogmatism, we must embrace inquiry and debate. We stand for your right to ask questions. Heated arguments, even those that may cause distress, are far better than no arguments at all. Censorship robs us of the riches of life itself. Free speech is the foundation for creating a life of meaning and a thriving humanity. Through art, poetry, drama, story, philosophy, song, and more. This declaration was the result of an initial meeting of free speech champions from around the world who met in Westminster, London at the end of June 2023. As signatories of this statement, we have fundamental political and ideological disagreements. However, it is only by coming together that we will defeat the encroaching forces of censorship so that we can, so that we can maintain our ability to openly debate and challenge one another. It is in the spirit of difference and debate that we signed the Westminster Declaration. Now I wanted to read that out verbatim from the beginning to end because I think it is incredibly well worded. Some people who have signed this, I would have, you know, I would sign this in a heartbeat. Uh, of course, Matt Taibbi, journalist you are from the USA, Michael Schellenberger, um, public, um, that's his publication, USA. Um, then People like uh, Julian Assange, editor, founder of WikiLeaks Australia. Um, we got Richard Dawkins, biologist, U UK. John Cleese, comedian, acrobat, UK. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we have Edward Snowden, whistleblower, USA. Uh, Glenn Greenwald, journalist, USA. Stella Assange, campaigner, UK. Um, a lot of other people, including people I don't particularly like but i found new respect for because they signed this including uh, Janos Varoufakis economist Greece um, some very um, intelligent people find this of course a lot of people from uh, uh, Matej Ibi's bubble I would say um, Walter Kern signed it as well who's a, um, you know he does the great podcast uh, America uh, this week with, with Matt this is a really good podcast they discuss all these matters and then they read like a, a, a short story um, by, you know, some, some famous author and discuss that. And uh, Walter Kern obviously used to be, or I think still is a professor of literature. He's, he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever heard on a podcast. Guys, just amazing. And I've recently uh, read a book of his, which I can only recommend just a quick aside here. He's written a book, which is uh, also biographical in nature. It's not a fiction book. It's a non-fiction. It's called Blood Will Out by Walter Kern, um, which is the story of how he um, fell prey to a uh, a pretty amazing con man <laughs> from Germany of all places and just believed him like for 15 years. And the guy actually he killed some people. So it's it's uh, pretty amazing. Um I mean, that is actually a story I actually want to talk about on the podcast once, but I uh, at some point. But I recommend that book, uh, Blood Will Out. It's really good. Anyway, um, I thought this was just worth reading out. I think it's 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 very well put. I uh, I couldn't put it better. And um, yeah, I think this kind of censorship 
uh, endangers our democracies, but it also it endangers, as as they say in this declaration, a very um, way of life. Um, you know what we are supposedly about in the West, in our um, enlightened um, representative democracies. You know what we stand for: um, art and culture and the spirit of debate. And I could now go into um, what which people would probably expect, you know, pull the Hitler card and, and talk about how, um, as they kind of allude to in this declaration as well, how this kind of thing is always the first step to tyranny and to totalitarianism and, you know, some, you know, it, the Nazis, that's the first thing they did. But I'm not going to go there. What, where I'm going to go to is um, I've been, um, you know, I always watch some kind of sci-fi show, um, aside from watching other stuff. Um, and usually it's Star Trek, but I've been watching uh, Babylon 5 and I'm I'm nearing the end now. I'm at the end of uh, season four. And so basically uh, in Babylon 5, you know, you have, um, it's it's a story that, that progresses through five seasons. The, the, the fifth season is somewhat of a, um, of an epilogue, but the main story is four seasons. And it starts with just explaining, you know, in the first two seasons, you can basically get the station and the basic conflict. But, you know, there's a, it's a big conflict between um, the forces of light and the forces of evil, right? Um, they get caught, like the station, all the, the alien um, governments get caught into a, in, in, in a, um, in a fight that's been playing out since, millions of years where there's these two galactic civilizations that have been been there since basically the beginning of time and one are called the Volons and the other ones are called the Shadows and you know initially you think the Volons are the good guys and then you figure out that they're both equally spoilers for Babylon 5 e equally bad in their own way um, the Volons are kind of like I always like their concepts, kind of like the is the Vulcans you know if, if, if the Vulcans were the bad guys you know if you take that the good of the many, um, the the inherent cruelty in logic. If you're just completely logical, um, that's what the Volons are. The shadows are just evil, um, and you know, the, the uh, Kosh, the Volon ambassador, has an amazing saying um, that the, in in typical uh, J. Michael Straczynski way, he just places that in like season two and then it only gets explained in season four, I think, or season one and season three, whatever. Um, Kosh says, um, understanding is a three-edged sword. And it sounds like this like Japanese philosophy that, you, that is completely inscrutable. And then later he explains... Um, or I, I think he doesn't, but I think Lita, who's like her, his his assistant, then later explains, I think, to Sheridan that it means, you know, understanding the three-edged sword, your side, their side, and the truth. And I always thought this is very, very smart. I mean, that, that encapsulates propaganda and censorship and all of this. You know, there's, there's your side, there's their side, and it's actually the truth. Which you you're probably never gonna get to, um, but anyway, so so there's this big conflict, and that like all gets resolved, you know, the the Volans and the shadows literally go away, and then season four is basically about what it has done to Earth. Um, so basically, Earth 
as part of this conflict, the Earth government has taken been taken over by uh, the 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 you know the the vice president who's killed his, the president and then taken office, and it's basically over the. It's like a background for two seasons. You see, like Earth becoming more and more totalitarian. Um, they have this like <laughs> this the president founds this organization called the Night Watch, and you know, relatively uh, you know. JMS with a relatively heavy hand, but I think you know it's done on purpose. Like they they turn up and they have like armbands. Let's say Nightwatch, and uh, one of the characters on the show gets involved with them, and it's kind of like you know, and it it gets it gets more and more sinister, and then um you know basically the end of uh, two thirds of season four is basically um, after they fought this galactic spanning war, Sheridan has then has to go back home. And they don't even know he fought this war because it's all like propaganda. He's fucking have to has to liberate Earth, and that show explain like JMS in in in, in that show. If you watch that show, it's, you know it's, it's the same thing. You can see the same. The first thing, President Clark after he's ex executed or killed President Santiago, um, everybody assumes that he's killed them. But then you know they get the truth. Uh, actually, uh, they get like some. Um, they get like proof, like and on Babylon Five, they get proof of that he's killed. Basically, I think uh, they get the doctor, his like personal physician, is flat Earth, and then uh, seeks refuge on Babylon Five, and they like take a statement. He basically testifies that Clark, so that he put a bomb on um, Earth Force One, which is like the starship that's like the present starship, and he just got off with a cough, like you know, on the last stopover at I/O or whatever, and then. You know, he just gets off the ship, and then the next thing that happens is like the ship explodes, and the president's dead. Um, and once they publish that information, um, you can see like Clark's then putting the screw. Like he takes like the 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 news channel, the ISN, you know, which is basically their version of CNN, gets like turned into a propaganda arm of the government, and they basically try to discredit uh, Babylon Five, which is they've seceded from Earth because you know. Clark keeps killing civilians and shit like that. Um, so they secede from Earth and, and they get like the news always like portrays Babylon 5 as like the evil guys and, and Sheridan being like the commander being under the influence of aliens and stuff. There's some really good like episodes of Babylon. There's a great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, as a, When I saw this when I was like 14 and you know I was, you know, always want to be a journalist. Took me a long time to become one, but like I was always interested in kind of thing. It like opened my eyes. There's it's like an episode where you, the whole episode you see it from the normal that you know the the side you always see everything from from the people on Babylon Five. And I have this reporter comes on board uh, from ISN, which you know is a propaganda arm. But the guys like I really want to get the real story out, and they're like, I mean, what can we do? We kind of have to, um, you know. We we can't we can't be on the side of the census. We we have basically nothing to lose. Uh, we like the, you know, we have the truth, so we have to get the truth out. But then they already know they have to be really careful, so they can't edit their words. Um, so they're being really careful. And you see, like them giving the interviews and everything. And then the last, I think, quarter of the episode, maybe third, is just the, it's like a the TV documentary, like the the the, the, the thing they filmed, like on ISN, and it's like putting it's like cutting this these things you've seen and they're cutting them together and they're making it all very sinister and it's it's like a it's like a very um 
uh, well presented mainstream way of explaining how to do this kind of propaganda um and it's it, it's very smart it's a very it's a very good episode anyway watch babylon 5 if you want to know what's happening here you know if you if you want to want to see what's going on and if you don't want the usual history uh, you know the, the the tired the tired nazi uh analogisms uh you know babylon 5 explains the same thing you can see it like within you know the first seasons you you can you you can see what happens um to earth and it's exactly that thing it's like the people in power um reacting badly to people actually expressing their opinion and then you know turning on the thumb screws and having you know before the jackboots come on it's always the censorship first so i i somehow i feel like we're headed there um, I really don't want to be. <sighs> people always think I'm, you know. I think ever since I've done podcasts, people always peck me for a pessimist. But I really, I'm not. <laughs> like I'm a really likable, positive person generally. It's just that my experience gets in in the way. <laughs> it's like another. It's, it's like the deep desert, deep Space nine episode where Garrick says. Um, it's I don't know what exactly is it, but he's like the doctor goes like, how can you be this pessimistic all the time? He's like, it's not like I want to be. I really, you know, I really try to be positive about things. I really do, but my experience just get in the way of that. Like my experience with people, and that's so true. That's that's what I feel. Like you know, I just I don't. Uh, it's it's so weird. It's, I mean, I've, you know, to me, like, it's, it's a weird disconnect. It's like growing up in a country um, where you go to school, you know, and we have this very um, relatively regimented school system in Germany. You have to go to school um, and there's, there's a curriculum. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of federal state level, but, you know, it's the same curriculum all over Germany pretty much in essence. And you learn about, you know, Nazi Germany and you learn about, uh, you know, you have you, you like in, in uh, our gymnasium, which is like our highest level of high school. You know, we have these different tiers of schools, basically. And when you're relatively smart, you go to gymnasium uh, and then you have political science and they, they teach you about how um, democracy works and, you know, why we have laws against censorship and why the press is important and what the press is supposed to do and um, why you have to have the right to, you know, speak your mind how this all works, and then you grow up and you have the people, the people in power, you know, my age and a bit older, who went to the whole same school system, and you know, they it's not like they can claim they didn't learn about the Nazis and you know and how the Nazis came to power. Everybody in Germany went to school in the eighties. I know for a fact learned about this shit. Like it was in every fucking curriculum. They all and that's not only gymnasium. We learn about that in lower school, but you know, all the people that are politicians basically went to gymnasium. Um, they learned about all of this, and now they're doing the same fucking thing. Basically, I'm I'm looking at what they're doing. I'm like, you keep calling the other people Nazis that disagree with you. You keep literally calling them Nazis, but all I see you do. It's like some really Nazi bullshit. And I mean like actual Nazis, like the NSDAP is some NSDAP bullshit. 
you're getting the press to all say, say the same thing. Um, you, you're passing laws that people can't can't publicize their opinion. Um, you're leaning on people if they do. Um, for the good of something, you know. It's all different reasons, but it's, it's all the same methods. Yeah. Um, anyway, if you... If you, if you have, you know, if you, if you run into people who don't understand why this is important, or like they're like, what's so bad about the censorship? You know, or not, let's not call it censorship, but you know, you, you talk to people and they're like, what's so bad about these these online anti-hate speech bills? Just send them a link to the Westminster Declaration. Um, I'll just send them the text, probably. I don't know. I think that the biggest problem with this declaration is all the people signed it because they're all obviously like lots of them are the people who are on the wrong side of history who've been fucking cancelled during COVID or, you know, who've said the wrong thing like John Cleese and, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, Assange, you know, who've been like, you know, who've been character assassinated, uh, who've been exiled in in, uh, in, in, in in Russia like Snowden. Um, but I think the text is very good. I mean, I'd, I'd be hard-pressed. Um, like, if you have a, a debate about this and you just read that out, um, I think it'd, it'd be hard for somebody to argue that. Um, at least on good faith, like they they would have to like redirect and and try to talk about I don't know child porn, but actually telling me why why like you know having having a debate where where somebody who's on the other side of the argument went in and said like no no this is not how democracy works or whatever I really can't see that um, because the interesting thing is that all the people who are for the censorship are still paying. At least you know they're 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 kind of pretending that all of this is for democracy to protect democracy um it's driving me insane like I would really like to go to Parliament and discuss with some of these people when they say this kind of thing i'm like how do, how 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 can how can this be good for democracy like and as as i say like this is they, they say a lot of things that I've always said you know like i don't I don't see how some somebody's feelings getting hurt, which is all that hate speech and cyberbullying and all of that is. You know, nobody's shooting at you. Nobody's torturing you. Know, nobody's pulling your fingernails off. They're just telling you things you don't like to hear. And, you know, it might be cruel, but you can fucking turn it off. You know, as Drachenlord says, the X button is at the top just, push that fucking button and it's gone um how how all of that is supposed to justify getting rid of the the most basic pillars of our democratic system i will never i will never understand i, I don't understand how these people think who actually do think that like i can understand if somebody's just like yeah i've just you know, read whatever the news tells tells me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it must be right. But if you're like actually in this and really thinking about that and start analyzing, you know, what's really going on, 
how you can still believe um you know that that censoring people's opinion is the right how does that how how that would make anything better it's such a like you'd have to be like eight years old i would always say but i think i was smarter than this at eight i was reading like fucking lord of the rings like i was i think i was smarter than this i would have said this doesn't make any sense you know how how can a, a system that is supposedly supposedly um so enlightened and built on everybody just you know um and like on the government being right because the majority um, elects them because the majority is informed how can such a system go oh people having wrong information is the biggest danger we are facing like the whole system is based on people sorting this out for themselves that's what democracy literally means and that's the downside of democracy because you have dumb people making stupid decisions but the idea is that that's still better than the fucking tyrants we have otherwise. Right? That's still better than Louis XIV and 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 fucking Wilhelm, Kaiser Wilhelm and Napoleon and all of these and Stalin and Hitler. Um you know. And the king, you know, it's it's all better than that. It is better than just some one guy making the decisions we'd rather have everybody else making the decisions yeah we'll get it wrong um that's part of the process but we decided when we came collectively as a as a, you know not even as a civilization as the planet fucking as the western hemisphere or whatever part of the world we came out of the dark ages and we had the renaissance and in a very long and very bloody struggle, we decided that maybe it'd be a better idea if we hash this out together instead of just appointing one guy in a funny hat who was inbred like hell to, to, to decide these things. That's all I got to say. I don't know what it is, uh, why I keep waffling on about things today. It might might have been the Merlot, or maybe I'm just... Um, because it's so close to my heart, and I need to get this shit, you know. One of the reasons I do this podcast is because I need to talk... To be honest, I need to talk to somebody about this shit. <laughs> because my, my wife is like, I've got, you know, I've got shit to do. I don't want you to talk to me for an hour, 40 minutes about democracy and censorship. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> so uh, I'm thankful for anybody who listens to this. Uh, I'd be even more thankful if you tell me what, what you think. Uh, not only about this, you can talk to me about, you know, tell, tell me what you think about Gaza, whatever. Um, I would love to hear it. Um, you know, I, I want some other perspectives because... As I just said, I think this kind of discourse is what 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 gets us to grow. It's painful. It's annoying. You know, it's like human beings. Human beings are fucking annoying, but you know, it's be fucking lonely without them. And 
you know, this is the only way we can grow um, together. Anyway, uh, I appreciate if you write in. I also appreciate all the people who keep the show going with monetary donations, even if I don't release any. And then is it is it worse if I actually de- re- release shit like this? I don't know. But I'm, I'm incredibly um, humbled by people who um, support this and, and make it possible for me to do this um, beyond me just needing somebody to talk. Um, so, so I would like to thank everybody. I've got a Patreon. Uh, links in the show notes. If you go to privatecitizen.press, um, all the details are there. So I would, I would like to, to show appreciation to my showrunner, Sergal Taran, Executive producers, Butterbeans, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Rizal, Sandman616. Supervising producers, Avis, Bennett Piata, Dave, IKN, Jackie Plage, Jonathan M. Hathi. Oh, I did it again. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jonathan. Jonathan. It's too midnight. Jonathan M. Hitai. I need to switch to German mode, then it works. Krunkel. But then I'm still in, in German when I'm like, Michael Mulan Jensen, Jensen, Michael Mulan Jensen, Michael Mullen Jensen, uh, Tobias Weber, Tobias Weber, Andrew Davidson, Astro C, Barry Williams, Cam, oh, this is the producers, by the way, Andrew Davidson, Astro C, Barry Williams, Cam, Captain Eckert, Dirk Didi, Fadi Mansour, Florian Pigosh, Joe Poser, Mr. Amish, RJ Tracy, Robert Forster, and the associate producers, D, Jonathan, Johan Sonnen, Kaisias, Ricky M, Steve Hose, and Vlad. Thanks to all of you. Uh, I hope to be back soon with another episode, soon TM, um, hopefully this week. Um, until then, I would like to thank, thank ByteMark as well at ByteMark.co.uk, British cloud hosting company. They have been supporting the show since the beginning. I couldn't do the show without them. They're providing the servers uh, for you to download the audio files which is uh, incredibly important and i'm gonna play us out uh, with a song called i'm destruct i'm indestructible um the tiger blood jewel remix uh, it's a song by ote featuring divity and then obviously remixed by tiger blood jewel um so i'm indestructible tiger blood jewel remix by ote feet featuring feet feet uh divinity and um Aim to misbehave. See you soon. And by that I mean you will hear from me soon. And I'll probably hear, uh, hopefully hear from you. Private citizen of press.
I was found here. 